Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Hormones can have a profound effect on our mental, physical and emotional health. They play such a key role in managing the likes of our appetite, our weight and psychology. So if you're wondering why you don't feel quite like yourself, it might be time to understand exactly how hormones influence what you're feeling. This week's Food for Thought sees Dr. Anjali Amin and I deep dive into what hormones really are and whether you really can harness your hormones. Hello, Anjali. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, such a pleasure. This this is an episode, Anjali, that we have wanted to do on Food for Thought since it's you know, beginning really back in the day. So we're finally there. And I guess let's open the conversation by saying, is it possible to say that hormones have, I guess, the most control over our bodies? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Without hormones, our bodies would be pretty much unable to function. Hormones have an influence on pretty much every bodily process. They're involved in things like metabolism, growth, fertility, um, your response to stress, appetite. I mean, the list is never ending. So Mm -hmm. absolutely, I would wholeheartedly agree that hormones have so much control over our bodies. Yeah, no, I also think it's something a lot of people speak about, but don't really have a full understanding. So let's start, I guess, by saying what what are hormones? (laughs) What are they? (laughs) So um, hormones, they are chemicals. They're chemical messengers which are produced in specialist endocrine glands, so glands within the body whose sole function is to produce hormones, which are then released into the bloodstream 
And what they do is essentially just send a message to another part of the body to do something. So they're, they're messengers, if you like, in, in its most simple form. Yeah, and they're responsible, as you said at the beginning, for so many different areas. But what, what are the main the main hormones, I guess? I'm sure a lot of people perhaps obviously have heard of estrogen, a female hormone. Well, I guess it's present actually in both. But what are some of the main hormones that have key roles in psychological behaviour? Let's start there. Yeah, so um, you touched on one of them, estrogen. So estrogen and progesterone. Um, as you did say that actually estrogen can be a male hormone as well but estrogen and progesterone your classic female sex hormones um, you've also got other hormones such as cortisol um, which is your stress hormone um, people often talk about thyroid hormone because we know that thyroid hormone um, has so many different effects and can have an influence uh, on people's mood um, but i should stress you know often these things happen when things go wrong with your hormones so mm. in terms of psychological function if you like when things are working normally and you know the endocrine system is so clever it's such an intelligent system so essentially the way that it works is like a thermostat so it keeps the body in status quo and when you've got too much hormone around it sends a message to switch things off and it turns off your production of hormones to try and keep things at a nice even level. So generally the body's pretty good in keeping your hormone levels stable but of course you know women have a menstrual cycle and we know that over the course of your menstrual cycle your hormones fluctuate and Towards the end of your menstrual cycle, just before a period, we know that levels of hormones such as progesterone drop. And it's thought that sensitivity to the hormones such as progesterone might be responsible for the changes that mm. some women experience as the premenstrual syndrome. So that's probably one of the key hormones that can have an influence on sort of mood, behavior, emotion. But there are yeah. so many others. But the others tend to have their effects when things go wrong with their hormonal production. Okay, so, I mean, oh, I can definitely anecdotally say that, gosh, before my period, I, I'm not always a very happy, happy person. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> You're feel not alone. The, no, I'm sure. <laughs> I do think as well, Angela, since having a baby, it seems to be even more heightened. I seem to have way more mood swings. So... Is that normal before I go on? So um, after having a baby, uh, there are so many changes that, you know, can influence one's emotions and behaviour. So it's difficult to know whether or not the actual hormones are having an effect. There's no evidence that the levels of hormones change in your menstrual cycle after you have a baby. But there are obviously other factors that are involved, such as sleep. Um, appetite, you know, day-to-day -day routines that change after having a baby. So it's really difficult to know um, what exactly might cause the change in premenstrual syndrome after having a baby. Yeah, of course. I, I mean, I guess, yeah, tons of factors. And you mentioned when hormones go wrong. So let, let's go into that a little bit. So do you have an example of when this could be the case? 
Yeah, so a good example is thyroid hormone. It's one of the commonest endocrine conditions, mostly managed by GPs, but you know, I see it so much in my, my clinical practice. And when things go wrong with the thyroid, and it tends to be as a result of autoimmunity, so when the body makes its own antibodies for whatever reason, which attack that particular endocrine gland, so in this case, the thyroid, and then the thyroid can do one of two things. It can either overproduce hormone or it can underproduce hormone. And we often see the uh, patients who present with not enough thyroid hormone. And that can cause all sorts of symptoms. So women, uh, it tends to be more common in women, but um, women often note, notice that there might be a change in their periods. People tend to put on weight. They become constipated. It can affect their metabolism. So they might start to feel really cold because of the effects on your basal metabolic rate. So that's one of the sort of examples on what goes wrong when you can't produce enough of your own, mm -hmm. you know, your own normal hormones. Um, but the good thing is, is that with many of these things, they are really straightforward to treat. So with thyroid hormone, for example, if you don't make enough, you can give a synthetic form of hormone, which is a tablet, which does exactly as your own body would do. Um, and you can lead a normal life. So it's, it's really, it's really interesting. I mean, it's a fascinating area. Um, I can imagine for medics, especially or anyone training in that particular field, it must be, yeah, the research must be overwhelmingly interesting. And but I do sometimes hear of cases, Anjali, of uh, thyroid function not being diagnosed. So is, is it quite easy to, to miss it or to get it wrong as well? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. It's, you know, the symptoms that happen when things go wrong with your thyroid can be really subtle. So one of the commonest symptoms that people describe uh, is tiredness. Now, you could ask, you know, 10 people on the street if they feel tired and hmm. the majority are going to say yes. So, you know, because of the sort of vagueness of symptoms, so tiredness, mood disturbance, um, you know, you might be a bit constipated, you might not realise. So because of this sort of non-specificity non of the symptoms, actually it can sometimes be difficult to diagnose. Um, weight is often the fact the factor that people notice so they with an underactive thyroid people tend to gain weight mm. um unexplicably so they they might actually eat less so their appetite goes down but despite that they can gain weight and that yeah. often is the reason they present to their gps yeah we get we get quite a lot actually well i say quite a lot over the years in the nutrition clinic we've had a few clients um who've had that situation and at first it's a bit of a mystery when you're working on nutrition with somebody but the minute you get that gp referral and the results come back um it's almost quite a relief actually for the client to know what's been happening because for anybody that's in that situation that that's quite anxiety provoking and worrying isn't it absolutely and you know it's because people know their own bodies, when you can't explain symptoms like that, it it definitely can be a worry. And you know, appetite and weight um, are difficult symptoms to explain to others. Um, you know, 
what and it doesn't make any sense why am i gaining weight when i'm not actually eating very much um and i suppose it's really helpful that we have blood tests that very quickly can give us the answer it's just knowing when to present to somebody that is the difficult bit mm. and we've said hormones as well um we've mentioned psychologicals they can have an impact on our mood but what about our behavior as well or is that quite a difficult area to pinpoint it's really hard i mean in terms of behavior i suppose hormones don't directly influence what we actually do so as i mentioned you know you've got so many different hormones that often work together and there isn't a hormone that can influence our own behavior if you like because they all work so closely together so although as i said that there are hormones that can have an influence on mood i don't think any of them at least not alone can influence our own behavior if that makes sense mm no no it really does i i do think as well hormones are very quick to be blamed without a full a full understanding and perhaps that's a um oh what would i use as a phrase to describe it um a societal norm or just something you know a phrase like an old wives tale or something that's thrown around but hormones can often be seen as very negative can't they as, as a oh it's my mm. hormones do you know it's it's interesting because i think it's due to the fact that people associate the word hormonal as a quite a derogatory term you know it's used to describe somebody a woman often who is behaving irrationally in response to her own emotions and i think because it's used in that way i find it quite a derogatory thing to say you know to mm. blame somebody for for being hormonal well you know, we have a menstrual cycle. We yeah. know that things change within the menstrual cycle. As I mentioned, you know, we have the hormone progesterone, which women are sensitive to, some more than others. And that sensitivity to that hormone can cause changes in behavior, in mood, um, and all of these things that represent the premenstrual syndrome. So it's a shame that we have sort of coined the term hormonal mm. because it really doesn't mean anything because we have hormones that work all the time their hormones as we've already said at the beginning their hormones are there for every bodily function yeah so, we're doing ourselves an injustice really and equally that raises the debate do you think more education should be done in this particular area for of course both or all types of genders or whatever people choose to be to enable people to have more of an understanding perhaps in the workspace or life in general yeah absolutely i think education is key i, I think you know when people understand the actual function of hormones and realize it's not just about women being irrational before their period it's just so much more than that it, it has so many different functions you know, we could talk about something like insulin, for example, one mm. of the most important hormones in controlling glucose levels. You know, it's just knowing um, what the actual functions of the hormones are and what they do. And also, I suppose, unfortunately, 
social media is a terrible place to learn things oh, about hormones. Shocking. You know, <laughs> there is just so much misinformation. Um, and unfortunately, because the symptoms from having, for example, an underactive thyroid can be so miserable, you know, you can feel quite depressed, you know, you might gain weight, um, you might be feeling really tired, people will clutch at anything to try and make themselves feel better, understandably. And mm. I think knowing where to get the right education is part of the problem. Um, yeah. So I think education, yes, I totally agree. It's just how to do it and where to get that education from. I, I feel like on on every episode, Anjali, I, I, the social media thing is actually quite ex overwhelmingly exhausting when I think about, like you said, education is key, but social media for so many reasons is not the best place for so many different types of education. You've got pseudoscience coming from every corner and it can be so confusing for the general public to decipher what what's true and what's not. Mm. And would you say there are also certain people perhaps, because this is a question that um, came in, who are more susceptible to hormonal changes than others? So are some people just more, I'm going to stick to susceptible actually, I was going to say sensitive, let's stick to susceptible to it. Yeah, I mean, if you look at sort of what's on, you know, going back to social media, tends it tends to target women. Mm. And I, I suppose that's part of the reason is that, you know, women's hormones do fluctuate on a month-to-month -month basis, as we know. And I suppose in some ways, um, people per se, their bodies aren't more susceptible to hormonal changes. But it tends to be sort of external influences that can have an effect on um, their perspective on what might be going on within their bodies. And, you know, they'd like to perhaps um, associate some of the symptoms that they might be experiencing with some kind of hormonal problem. So I'll give you a good example. Um, adrenal fatigue that mm. pretty much everybody who uses social media will have come across at some yeah. point and adrenal fatigue is uh, so uh, popular uh, on social media as a cause for all sorts of symptoms now i'm not saying that those people don't have those symptoms clearly you know they are people who do have symptoms who will who are looking for help but it's not an accepted medical diagnosis. You know, there's mm. no medical basis for adrenal fatigue. And, you know, there are conditions that affect the adrenal gland, which is one of the endocrine glands. And you can underproduce hormones within the adrenal gland. And that is something called adrenal insufficiency, which is a medical con condition which needs treatment with steroid hormones. Adrenal fatigue, however, is is a term which has been so well researched you know there are meta-analyses looking at adrenal fatigue and mm. all of the evidence says that it does not exist as a medical condition yeah i'm um, delighted that you brought that up as an example actually there's also people making well a lot of money off selling books on this um claiming there's miracle diets to solve adrenal fatigue and 
yeah, it's social media on a whole for things like that. It's very scary. And another one is hormonal imbalance. So I see a lot of people trying to sell nutrition products or plans based on it's claiming that people have hormonal imbalances. I was just wondering what your views were on this. Yeah, that, thank you for asking. That's, that is, you know, something I feel really strongly about. So mm. as I mentioned, the, the endocrine system is incredibly clever and it does such a good job of balancing your own hormones naturally. It uses a process called feedback. So as I said, it works like a thermostat. If you don't mm. have enough, your body makes more. If you've got too much, your body stops, switches it off and keeps you nicely balanced. Now, Balancing your hormones is something I see an awful lot, mainly on social media, but also in my clinical practice when people come to me and say, oh, um, you know, I have a smoothie, for example, and this, this will nicely balance my hormones and I take it every day because I know it's going to balance my hormones. And actually what I say to that is your body is doing a marvellous job on mm. its own for of balancing your own hormones drink the smoothie go ahead because it's good and you know you're getting some of your five a day but it's not going to balance your hormones your body does that naturally and it's a shame that people believe that following you know odd diets um supplements teas even to try and balance their own hormones when actually you know your body does that it's like yeah. you know when you see things do detoxify your body know. you know we have organs that do that we have endocrine glands that balance your hormones so you know it's it's unfortunately there and as you say there are people that are susceptible to to this kind of um these kinds of claims if you like because they're, they're looking for something to help with the symptoms that they might be having mm. but they're not related to hormonal issues no, um, something I'm else underlying. To... And that's sometimes, Anjali, I, th I think that um, the, the case that you've, you've quite rightly just said, and I think one of the major problems we have in this country is that the term nutritionist is not protected. So unfortunately, it can be very convincing to people online to see people claiming they are nutritionists having done an online course for a week or studied a um, more... Uh, I don't even know how to use the right word, less evidence-based type mm. of qualification. And they haven't really studied the science of the human body at all. And then they come out with all these programs to solve these sorts of things. And it can be incredibly tempting, like you said, for someone that's vulnerable and looking for a way out of something. Mm, absolutely. It can be so damaging. And, you know, often uh, the people that... Are susceptible to these things are young women who are impressionable and mm. you know when you're talking about hormones that might affect you know your body image your body weight things like that it's it's hardly surprising that people will believe anything or will try anything mm. in an attempt to either feel better look better and um, it's a shame because as you say there is so little evidence and people can essentially say what they want and sell what they want because people think well if it's affecting my hormones and making me a more balanced person it must be good for me right and so, unfortunately what it means is that people spend a lot of money on things mm. that don't work 
and can and be if damaging. if this is the case, Anjali, if this is the case and this is happening in the UK now and probably around the world, what is really concerning is that the people selling these types of programs clearly believe wholeheartedly that they are helping others. So we have a bit of a conundrum going on where they have been perhaps ill-educated or how do we even solve this type of cycle? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I know, it's, it's so hard. I suppose... The way that I look at it is that there must be an underlying sort of agenda for people. You know, people sell things because, you know, they've got a product to sell, for example. And it's about branding, for example. You know, you've just got to mention the words balancing hormones, for example. Mm. And there you have it. You've got an amazing product that you know mm. will, will appeal to people. And um, I suppose trying to get evidence-based information out on things like social media which we know is the sorts of platforms that young people who might be susceptible to these kinds of claims would use is is the way forward the problem is is that people don't want to believe it so for example going back to the adrenal fatigue for example it it's people want to believe that there is something wrong with their body. So they want yeah. to attribute their symptoms to something. And when I, when they come to me uh, in my clinical work and say, it must be my adrenal glands, and then I say, well, actually, it's not, you know, they're not happy. They're not happy with that because they want it to be, they want to have a diagnosis because they have symptoms. And I understand that. But at the same time, I can't attribute it to uh, adrenal fatigue, you know, because it isn't real. Um, so yeah. they have, there is something going on, but it might not be their hormones, almost certainly it isn't their hormones. No, and it's good we've had this discussion. So we've touched on adrenal fatigue, well, we've gone into depth there really, and we've looked at the menstrual cycle a bit. What about sleep? Because I do feel that there must be something that we are missing here in terms of how can we enhance this and perhaps melatonin or something like that. 
Yeah, it's, it's, you know what, sleep is one of the most interesting areas when it comes to your hormones. So mm. we know that sleep and hormones are inextricably linked. So we know that problems with hormones, so when things go wrong with your hormones, can cause sleep disturbance. But we also know that when you have sleep disturbance, it can affect your hormones. So, you know, it's, it's uh, what's chicken and egg, but it's also a two-way process. So we know that, for example, sleep can vary according to um, the cycle. We know that sleep is affected pre and post-pregnancy. Um, and we know that sleep disturbance is a common symptom in women going through menopause. So we know that um, sleep is definitely linked to changes in hormones. And what you mentioned about hormones such as melatonin, for example, where well, there are lots of hormones that vary according to your sleep-wake cycle. So you have other hormones like cortisol, testosterone, growth hormone, that all change over the course of the day. So take cortisol, which is probably one of the most talked about hormones currently Mm. You know, it's your stress hormone. And we know that cortisol levels fall during the night and they reach a kind of peak at about nine o'clock in the morning. Now, we know that in shift workers, for example, people that do night shifts um, over many years, can uh, it can negatively impact hormones such as insulin and cortisol. Um, mm. And it's really interesting because there must be something about the sleep-wake cycle that is doing something to those other hormones. Now, unfortunately, what we don't know is what it's doing to those sleep-wake, to the, to the hormones. Um, yeah. But it's a really, really interesting area. And as I said, it's, it goes both ways. So the hormones can cause a sleep disturbance, but sleep disturbance can also cause hormonal problems. Um, yeah, so vicious cycle it, there. <laughs> it, exactly, it really is. It really is. But it's and there's a whole new set of hormones called the orexins, which mainly research based mm. at the moment. But they are some of the hormones that are thought to be involved in the control of the sleep wake cycle. So it's mm. you know it's one of the areas that I think just is in the middle of you know, a lot of really interesting research currently. It's brought it all back to me. We did an episode on sleep a while ago now with Dr. Guy Meadows, who has a sleep um, research center in the UK. And it was fascinating. I remember him mentioning, um, it's is it, do you say it Orexins? Yeah, the Orexins. Yeah. yeah, I remember him saying that now and how fascinating I, I thought it was at that time. And we had, we had the link on, on stress there discussed. So what are the best ways to perhaps help our stress hormones or combat this, of course, because there will be lifestyle factors, things we can do, won't there? Absolutely. So in terms of stress, well, it is a really interesting area. So you've got cortisol, as I mentioned, which is your stress hormone. And we know that cortisol does go up in both, you know, psychological stress, but also stress related to exercise. However, it is it is uh, known that people that regularly exercise actually have lower cortisol levels and you know it is a research area mainly but it is thought that long term excessive cortisol production may have an influence 
um, on sort of poorer health outcomes. It's not something that has a huge amount of evidence, and I know there are many people looking at it at the moment, but I think it's important to that we do everything that we can to try and minimise stress to our bodies. So following a healthy diet, exercising regularly, um, and, you know, just maintaining that and not just doing it for a short period while you're young, but trying to get that into your sort of daily lifestyle over the years, even as you get older. It's something that I really encourage my patients to do. Yeah, no, that sounds brilliant. And I know that you're going to say, obviously, I'm the nutritionist, but what would you recommend in terms of nutritional interventions and things that people can do? Um, a, a rough, quick summary of what, what you say would support things. Well, um, for me, the important thing is to, to firstly, you know, I'm not a believer in fad diets, as I know you're, you're 100% not either. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, so I think firstly, just to take advice from somebody that is qualified to do so um, and not hang your hat on something that you've read something and you've heard anecdotes might work. So we know that there is no perfect diet that is going to control your hormones, that is going to control sort of stress, etc. So to me, the sensible thing and what I encourage my patients to do is not restrict anything um, and just to follow, you know, a general healthy balanced diet, which, you know, includes your carbohydrates, your proteins, your fats. Um, and, you know, one of my areas of interest is diabetes. And so I look after a lot of patients with type 2 diabetes where we know that diet is incredibly important um, and you know going back to the hormonal changes that you get in diabetes well with type 1 diabetes you have a deficiency of insulin which is one of the hormones produced from the pancreas and then in type 2 diabetes you mostly have a condition known as insulin resistance, although in the later stages you can get some deficiency of insulin. But that's one of the driving factors in um, both type 2 diabetes, but also PCOS to some degree. And so we know that diet clearly can play a major role in both type 2 diabetes, but also somewhat in PCOS. Mm. And... Um, of course, making sure that people are eating the right things um, and that, you know, you look at things that may influence how your insulin is actually secreted. So, for example, we know that if I gave my patient with type 2 diabetes 10 slices of white bread, they would have a very sharp spike in their insulin levels. So the pancreas would kick in straight away and lead to a huge rise in glucose, which would then result in insulin being released very quickly um, from the body to try and counteract that. And that's not good for the body. So what we want to try and see is a slower um, release of glucose, either through you know low GI foods, for example, and then you can manage that sort of peak in your blood glucose much easier so you know diet is so incredibly important both in 
ill health, but also in healthy people. Mm. I think you summarised that wonderfully and just important to stress as well for anybody listening. If you eat some sugar or you eat some salt and you have a takeaway or something like that, it's not going to be disastrous. We're, We're talking about diet in moderation and the majority of the time just trying to eat well because at the end of the day it will help you live a longer more happy and fulfilling life that's that's the hope and that's the power of nutrition in a sensible format but actually we've got questions from our listeners now as well so Tara has said one that I think is fascinating she said could my hormones be affecting my personality (laughs) I know no (laughs) No, no there, there is no evidence to suggest that hormones influence your personality. Absolutely. Perfect. There we go. Straightforward, Tara. And <laughs> Hannah has said, and this is one I'm sure you must get all the time, um, I'm on the pill. How um, do the hormones in contraception affect me? So the pill, so it depends on the type of pill. So you've got two types. You've got the combined pill, which is estrogen and progesterone or you've got the progesterone-only pill. Um, essentially, it just gives you estrogen and progesterone, you know, hormones that you'd naturally be producing in your menstrual cycle. So it doesn't um, do something abnormal to your body. It just stops your own body from producing the hormone through the pill. It's, it's really quite straightforward. And then Danny has said, how can I prevent spot outbreaks? I'm sure this is all my hormones. Yes, so um, it's it's very difficult because we know that women, for example, I'm not sure if Danny is a man. No, I'm not either, actually. But um, we it doesn't say. That's the beauty of some names. (laughs) (laughs) So we know that in women, for example, some women do have slightly higher levels of male hormones. So all women produce some testosterone. That is normal. And we know that some women do produce a little bit more testosterone than others. Some people may have conditions such as PCOS that does make them prone to conditions such as acne. Um, It's very difficult to to know. And even in people that uh, might have a normal testosterone, um, it's not always the driving factor in things like acne. And I'm obviously not a dermatologists there are far more qualified people to make that judgment um but uh, hormones can play a role certainly in 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 some conditions yeah and again um diets are very common one Uh, people often are very quick to point the finger of blame to sugar or dairy when it comes to spot outbreaks but uh, again the evidence on both actually it dairy seems to be a little bit stronger but definitely not the cause for many people who can eat dairy and be totally fine so take everything with a pinch of salt uh, when it comes to things you may hear online again when it comes to spots in particular and acne and speak to a a qualified maybe consultant dermatologist if you're able to um so we've had our questions from our listeners and now we're going to move on to the fact or fiction round angeli so are you ready i am ready okay if you could answer fact or fiction to the following questions hormones will act the same for all of us fiction there is no way to monitor your hormones 
Oh, that's so hard. Um, there's no way for you to, like a person to measure their hormones. So fact. <laughs> the body has over 50 different types of hormones. Fact. You get spikes in your hormones. Fact. Ooh, supplements can keep your hormones in check. Fiction. Great. Well done. <laughs> Only men have <laughs> testosterone. Just, just to touch on that again, I have lost count of the amount of times in clinic I've been presented with a very long list of supplements and powders. And I remember being tried, someone told me to take one once in my youth as well to balance my hormones. It's just not going to happen. Um, sorry, I digress. Um, <laughs> Only men have testosterone. Fiction. Irregular periods mean a hormonal imbalance. Um, sometimes, can I put in? Yeah, please expand. Yeah, go for it. So, yes, some hormonal conditions absolutely can um, affect uh, periods. So we know there are conditions such as um, PCOS or a condition known as hypothalamic amenorrhea which is a very difficult area actually that I do see quite a lot of and it tends to occur when there have been changes so really stressful situations in life or over exercising or in the context of eating disorders mm. and what that does essentially is it switches off a center in the brain called the hypothalamus and the hypothalamus is your kind of master regulator of hormones up in the brain and the reason that the periods go in those sorts of conditions is that the periods are thought to be the least necessary hormones for survival if you like you don't want to lose things like cortisol which is responsible for your uh, ability to fight illness so if it, it kind of loses the hormonal axis uh, that is least necessary for life. And what it does is it switches off the production up in the brain, which then sends a message to uh, the ovaries and says, well, don't make any estrogen. Mm. And that in turn can switch off periods. Um, so there are other conditions that occur up in the brain um, that affect your pituitary gland, which is another gland that works very closely with the hypothalamus that controls hormones. And when things go wrong with the pituitary gland, for example, you can also have irregular periods. Probably, though, the one that we see most commonly is PCOS, uh, so polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it can be one of the commonest thing reasons why people present in the first place because they start to experience irregular periods amongst other things. Amazing, I could pick your brains all day. It's great to hear you put it all into context. We have three last questions of the fact or fiction. So oxytocin is a love hormone. <laughs> <laughs> it's what you need when you're giving birth. <laughs> So Tell me let's about say, it. yeah, let's say fact. Let's go with fact for that, right. only because it's necessary for giving birth. Yeah, go. If only it were easy to get it as well. In some cases, in the birthing situations, and um, estrogen in men can be bad. So, um, fact. <laughs> um, adrenaline will give you super strength. Fact. I mean, it is your fight or flight uh, hormone. So, absolutely.
So that nearly wraps up this episode. That was a wonderful fact or fiction round, Angelie. Thank you so much. But as with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. And I think I'll start today by um, by just saying that we've, we have all been there. And I, I like how Angelie was very compassionate earlier. And it's true that we all feel vulnerable. And there are times when things are not right. And we don't know what's going wrong. And we will go searching for answers because it's human nature. And we just want to to be able to fix something that goes wrong. But I urge everybody listening to get the information from the right people. Your GP is often the easiest port of call. It's free of charge, um, obviously if you're with the NHS. And you should be able to get access to referrals or areas of research or, you know, pointed in the right direction. And please, when it comes to nutrition, just go to a registered nutritionist or dietitian because there is a lot of misinformation on the internet. And on the nutrition subject, I should mention, like we said, getting, you know, good portions of fatty acids. Um, if you eat oily fish, great. If you don't, you can get omegas from the diet elsewhere, protein, a balanced plate, all the building blocks um, that will make our hormones in the first place are so important to, to get into your diet. Um, that's my food for thought today. Anjali, I'm sure you could leave us with something a bit more concise. What would your um, take home message be today? Well, really, just to reiterate what you've said, just, you know, listen to your body because things can go wrong with hormones. And if there is something that doesn't feel right, seek help and seek help from a credible source and ideally, you know, a doctor in the first instance, if you think there might be something going wrong with your hormones. And also just look at where you seek information from and seek education from because social media can be a difficult place to navigate so that would really be my take-home messages oh angeli honestly you're um a wonderful doctor and it's a huge pleasure to be able to have your expertise on the podcast today uh, where can our listeners go to find out more about what you do well feel free to come and visit me at the kitchen doctor and mum on instagram um, it's been an absolute pleasure being here thank you for having me Oh, absolute pleasure. It's lovely to finally get to chat. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure that you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And if you have the time to, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review so that we can reach higher highs in the charts. And hopefully that will help us reach more and more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, the books, healthy recipes, and so much more, please do visit retrition.com. And you can follow me on social media at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.